0: If your life were a movie, what kind of movie would it be? Would it be scary? Uh, who would have a comedy? Yeah, you know, would it be a a lifetime movie drama? and and see, I'll date myself here. Would your life be an afternoon soap opera if your life were a movie? You know all of us have different Different aspects of our story that are both frightening and funny and, and boring all at the same time. <laughs> uh, we, we, we all want to live a, a better story, uh, an interesting story. We, we, we don't want to live a, a, a story that puts everybody to sleep, but we want to live a story that's interesting. And, and great stories take risk. If you want to live a great story, there has to be risk involved. You have to take a chance. And I appreciate the great stories that we have in our congregation. And sometimes it's not intentional risk that we take, but it's just the happen chance of life that sometimes our stories are full of risk, of twists and turns. And what I have found is the best sermons I preach are your stories. How you live uh, out in the community, how you live through adversity are the best sermons this church has ever spoken. And so we're going to show another story now. Go ahead and play this, Dave.
1: Hi, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mara Castle. I'm married to Ryan, and we have three children um, Emerson is five, Finley is three, and Reed was born in July. Uh, when Reed was born, he was born with a serious congenital heart defect that um, basically made it where his only chance for survival was to have open-heart surgery when he was seven days old. So um, I'd like to start by reading um, a journal entry that I wrote. I actually wrote it just the day after we found out about his diagnosis. This was written on March 10th of 2017. I don't know if it's shock, denial, or the peace that passes understanding, but yesterday seems like a dream. I'm still reeling over finding out that our perfect, healthy, beautiful baby boy, may um, need so much care after he's born. I just can't imagine them taking away, um, him away from me so soon and then sending him to another hospital. Um, it just breaks my heart and leaves me with so many questions. At the same time, all these questions are threatening to unravel me. I also feel this intense comfort and reminder that God can heal our sweet baby any way he chooses. He can repair his heart and confound the doctors. He can make our next echocardiogram show a perfectly normal heart. I know we're going to witness many miracles in all of this, whether they be supernatural or through God's guiding the hands of our doctors. I am praying that our next scan shows no abnormalities, but I'm excited for the ways that Our son is going to bring glory to God. I'm already sure that God is and has been in every detail. Through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, it is well. Let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and wind still know his name. It is well with my soul. And it's easy for me to go back and read those words now and to see how far we've come, and to have all of those um, examples of God working. Um, but at this point in my life, I was um, I was really struggling. I was terrified. It um, it took about every every ounce of faith to really um, grasp on to the truth and what we knew um, about God, and um, to use that to kind of shape our focus. It wasn't an accident that that song um, was sung the very first Sunday after we received just this this crushing, this devastating diagnosis read and i just um remember just feeling like that was one of those first moments where i just really felt that um god was just reassuring and um, reminding us that while this came as such a surprise to us he was not surprised about any of this and that he knew Reed and he um he had formed him so um We really just started to talk, Ryan and I, about how um, this wasn't a path that we chose. We would um, obviously never have wanted this for um, any of our children. And while we couldn't choose the path that we were walking, we did feel like um, we could choose our response to that. And even in the midst of all the fear, we could uh, choose to focus on having faith and um, just trusting that God was going to be with us every step of the way. Uh, we started to pray just with a lot of expectation and anticipation. Um, we began to look for all those ways that God was answering prayers, big ways and small ways. And I found that the more I can um, change my focus and interpret things through that lens of watching and expecting God to be moving, that I start to be more sensitive to those um, those big and small answers to prayer. Uh, one thing that I just remember um, being so powerful for me, we were sitting on the freeway driving to Indiana visiting my in-laws, and I think I had just been wrestling and kind of um, just asking God why this was happening. I think in my mind, logically, I knew there, there really wasn't a reason, like it's nothing that, um, that we could have prevented or anything like that, but just struggling with uh, what, what this looked like for us and why we were walking this path. And um, I feel like as soon as I, I kind of voiced that and, and asked God, like, I just don't understand why, he brought to mind a story from John 9 where a blind man had come to Jesus and whispering in the crowd around him were asking questions like that. Like, why did this happen to him? Um, was it his sin, his parents' sin? Really starting to try to assign that blame and um, trying to in our human mind to make sense of what was going on. And Jesus' response to that Um, In John 9, 3, is that this happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him, in this blind man. And I felt like God um, kind of used that verse to speak so clearly to my heart. And um, he's bigger than our questions, I was not um, scaring him by asking why, but I feel like he was just telling me, you're you're wondering, you're questioning, and here you go. Are you willing to accept that I'm going to work in this situation, that I love this baby more than you do, and I've got plans for him, and are you ready to just watch me, watch me work, watch um, my works be displayed in him? And so in that time, I had to start kind of changing my way of thinking. I was submitting what I understood to be good, what I understood to be perfect to God's glory. And I started to just um, allow myself to really dwell on that idea that if God is glorified, that is going to be for my good and looking for ways to make sure that his glory and him being glorified was more important to me than, um, than my understanding of, of maybe even what was happening. Um, and throughout our pregnancy, he was a faithful time and time again. Um, he just allowed um, his strength really to um, overflow into our joy. It uh, was just committed to not let the devil steal this joy, the joy of being pregnant from me and this anticipation of this new baby. It was hard as we approached a delivery, we kind of um, he was safe while he was inside, but approaching that delivery and that, um, that that birth date for him also meant kind of a countdown to him having surgery and just kind of us to see the real effects of of this heart defect that he would be born with um, but even from the moment we checked into the hospital again we just overwhelmingly felt God um, he was just right there with us um, he was kind of we joked that he was showing off even in some of the just the small details Reed ended up being um, born at eight pounds three ounces which was about a full pound and a half heavier than either of our other babies and so just to just to see this big healthy looking baby when uh, a lot of heart babies are born very small very weak Just, again, just so reassuring to us of um, God just being involved in every detail and that He was just um, encouraging us that He was not going to let a single thing happen that was outside of His his good and perfect plan for, for our baby and for our family. Um, He did have some setbacks. He needed to have a heart cath procedure when he was about 16 hours old. He had to remain on a medicine that they had hoped to take him off of before surgery just to strengthen his heart. Um, And even they, uh, through some of the imaging, thought that he maybe only had one coronary artery when a normal heart would have two. And as they were working through the surgery, either um, the scan didn't show it or God just put it there, but he has uh, two perfectly healthy functioning coronary arteries. So there were a lot of times when um, the fear and the worry could kind of just threaten to overtake us. Um, It's hard to watch your baby there struggling um, day to day and just um, knowing that it's all out of your hands. but we just felt so covered in prayer. And there's no way to describe it other than we just almost felt like we were floating. We were being carried through every situation. We knew that we had so many uh, friends, so, so many people um, here from church and um, our families that were just constantly praying for us and just constantly lifting us um, before the throne of God. Uh, one of our um, biggest Kind of those details that you just, um, you almost don't even know what you're praying for. But we did. We prayed for every nurse, every doctor that we would see while we were in the hospital. And just prayed that it would be exactly um, who we needed in that moment. Um, We knew that there was going to be ups and downs. There were going to be those setbacks. And we just prayed that um, God was going before us and he was setting um, everything in place for us. And we prayed for our surgeon. We knew we were going to need a cardiothoracic surgeon. And not only did God provide a cardiothoracic surgeon, but he provided a world-renowned surgeon who was the head of cardiothoracic surgery at children's hospital and who just happened to be coming back from a long vacation in barcelona so we don't we don't none of those were accidents god was working he knew exactly the day our baby was going to be born he knew exactly the day he would need his surgery and uh, we just felt over and over again just that confirmation that he was going before us he was going through this with us and um he didn't never left us for a second um so now um, the biggest reminder of Reed's time in the hospital is a scar. He has a scar from his open heart surgery. And I um, honestly, I, I always smile, but I'm so thankful for his scar. When I look at that scar every day, it is a reminder of, of God's healing. Um, we want Reed to know the story behind his scar. Um, his scar is a story of, of God. God. Meeting him and being everything that he needed in those moments, and um, we want him to—we want him to recognize that and be able to tell that story to others. Um, I'm amazed at the ways that um, God's continuing to use Reed's story. Uh, we, we have people come up to us all the time, and um, they just—they comment on him. And I can think of one couple in particular that every time they see me holding him, they—they they just smile and say, "Oh, you're holding our miracle baby." and um the first time i heard it, it it brought tears to my eyes because i um i realized what uh, that he is he's our son he is such an answer to prayer he's such a gift but i'm taken back sometimes when i realize how many people were pouring into our lives and we're, were praying for us and that when they see read they see an answer to their prayers as well and um I'm just I'm excited. We've had a, a very exciting first uh, few, few months in his journey and his story. And I am just so humbled to be the steward and the caretaker for, for a little miracle. And I'm just excited to see how God's going to continue to use him. We know that he has plans for him that we can't even imagine right now. And um, we're just excited to watch him continue to work.
0: We'll give Mara a hand. Don't you appreciate people sharing their testimonies? You know, we celebrate that. We, we celebrate what God has done, but in our celebration, we recognize that it doesn't always work out as easily, folks, right? Uh, this pastor is, has been at funerals where people were praying just intently, and so sometimes God's story is not as clear, but we celebrate when God moves in a clear way with an understanding that, that sometimes in our life it's not near as clear. As a matter of fact, some of you may be walking through a portion of your journey right now where, where the hand of God, where God's blessing, where God's move is not nearly as clear. So sometimes in our stories, and, and, and I think of my own life, I'm not willing enough to take a risk, or I'm, I'm, I'm not clear enough in what I'm doing. And, and it's one thing just to miss out on the adventure of life, but, but sometimes in my life I've, I've missed out on what I believe God wants in my life, that, that I've taken wrong turns, I've, I've had mistakes, I've, I, I've, I've had failures in my life, and there's been disappointments in my life. Every once in a while we hear this phrase, the perfect will of God. (laughs) If the perfect will of God is plan A, sometimes I feel like I'm on plan Z to the power of 100, right? Anybody else feel like that? Sometimes we feel like we live less than what God has in mind for us. And sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes... Life just doesn't make sense. If that's true, say amen, right? <laughs> and I see it all the time as a pastor, and I've had it happen in my life. And, and the question for today is this. Can God take my story with its failures, disappointments, and wrong turns and use it for something bigger than me? Uh, that's where we're at. Now, the Bible... <laughs> Uh, The Bible is full of stories of people who have failed, who have taken wrong turns, who have flaws, people who don't have a clue, and that always gives me hope because sometimes I feel like I don't have a clue, and God has used them. And, And particularly when you look at the book of Genesis, and you know, the book of Genesis, who wrote the book of Genesis? You guys are, come on, say it loud. Moses, okay? And and you wonder, why would Moses be this caretaker, this deliverer of the book of Genesis? And, And it's years after. Most of these, if Moses is compiling these stories, you're talking hundreds of years after these events happen. Why would Moses be the individual associated with these stories. And, and you have to understand who Moses is. Moses is the delivery. He, he's taking the people of Israel from slavery. He's taking them from Egypt. And, and so people who have been dehumanized, I mean, slavery dehumanizes, they've been mistreated, they've been killed, and Moses begins to speak these stories into their lives to tell them their true identity. See, the stories reminded Israel of their place in God's history. And Moses began to unpack this in the lives of these slaves. I want you to use your imagination. If you have to close your eyes, close your eyes. Imagine how these stories were first given to the people of Israel. You know, Moses didn't have a book signing and hand them the book of Genesis, right? They began to tell these stories. And in my imagination, I see the children of Israel, maybe it begins in Egypt. And these dehumanized slaves, these mistreated slaves, these slaves that thought they didn't amount to anything, Moses began to speak into their lives through these stories who they really were. And they begin this journey through the wilderness and I see them gathered around campfires and Moses begins to unpack from creation through, through Noah, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Joseph. He begins to unpack who they were and whose they were. Have I ever tell family stories? You ever tell family stories? My kids hate family stories, but eventually I think they'll like them. You know, I tell those stories. And why do you tell those family stories? I tell them. Part of the reason is I want my boys to understand who they are, whose they are, what what our family, what what is significant to our family, and so we tell family stories in that way. See stories, and the Bible is a book full of stories. gave gives us hope through all circumstances that God has a will and God has a plan. Yes. Yes. Now, as as I thought about this, here's the question I'd ask you this morning. Just this isn't really the sermon, but but you need to think about this. What stories and what storytellers are you allowing to influence your perspective? In other words, a story is so significant, and I believe it is. If God uses story to allow us to to identify ourselves, to know who we are, then I think it's important that we understand who's telling the stories in our life and what stories they're telling. God has a way. And that's what Moses is conveying. And Israel is a part now, now later on he'll, he'll say in Psalms he'll say we will not hide these truths from our children we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord about his power and his mighty wonders in other words, in other words these stories are ongoing it's bigger than you it's bigger than your generation it's bigger than what you can see God has a story in your life that is bigger than your life and bigger than even what you'll experience. He has a story for this church that's bigger than what we can see. See, God was bigger than our circumstances and God is bigger than our circumstances. Now we're going to begin to unpack one of these stories. And it's the story of Ruth. Ruth. Uh, it's, it's past the book of Genesis. It, it's beyond Moses' life. It, it's, it's another story that I believe was, was written or given for the exiled, that, that primarily, the primary audience for this story is the people of Israel many years later sitting in exile trying to make sense of where they were, how they ended up in Babylon, and where could they go from there. You know, we're, we're blessed by the Bible. If you think you're blessed by the Bible, say amen, right? Amen. We're blessed by the written word. We're, we're blessed to be able to read the biblical stories and, and just, just sit down and, and read a story. But I think we may miss what happens in the oral telling of a story and, and sitting together and hearing these stories together. <laughs> think about how you told stories or you you've heard stories in the past did did anybody last night when they go to bed tell them self by themselves the story of the three bears right <laughs> You know, we don't tell stories in that way. There, there's something about sharing these things together. And, and I believe God's book, and I've said this, is a communal book that's it's meant to be shared. That's the importance of, of this time. But primarily this is the importance of our small group as we read this book together, as we unpack these stories together. There's something significant that happens. And the story of Ruth for, for the first... Three thousand years, give or take, until people were literate, (laughs) until books were available, was a story that was told in groups of people around dining room tables, around campfires, sitting out in the backyard, told in groups. See, private time in God's Word is great, but maybe we're missing the communal imagination of hearing these stories together. To, to talk about them and reflect on them and pray on them, what God is speaking, not only to my life, but to someone else's life through the stories. This is how preliterate, this is how Israel would have heard these stories in exile together they didn't have books and and, and most couldn't even read and so to hear these stories someone spoke these stories and they spoke them in groups now so Ruth who's who's the story of Ruth about trick question anybody know (laughs) it's about Ruth right that's that's a trick question And, and Ruth is who Who's she related to you guys all just, you're afraid your answer. Just say it out, Bob. Naomi's daughter, Bob. Okay, but who's her grandson? David. Who said David? There you go. The hero, Dan. Dan. Uh, David is her grandson. And, and Ruth tells us that the most famous and powerful among us have circumstances that must be overcome. That, that whoever you are, one of the primary stories, one of the primary themes of Ruth is, this is David's grandmother, and she's a Moabite, and even she, and in and, and turn David, had circumstances that must be overcome. And, and she lives during the time of judges and and during the time of judges, the book of Ruth tells us tells us that El- El- Elimelech, which of course becomes the song Elimelech, Elim- no, not <laughs> and Naomi and their two sons Mahlon and Kilion, uh, they they go to Moab. And, and Ruth one one says they sojourn or they journey there or they're they're travelers there. And then Ruth one two says. They settled down. And so, in other words, what what began as just a a short trip became a settled down in Moab. And I I guess before we go any further, what was uh, you you see here what was supposed to be temporary has become permanent. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? When you think about that, I mean, you know, that that hits me. There's there's lots of things I can think of in my life that they were supposed to be temporary, but all of a sudden, they take on this air of permanence. So Elimelech Elim- 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 Elim dies, uh, and Mahalon marries Ruth, and Kilion marries Orpa or Ophrah, if it's easier for you to say it like that. Uh, th- this is against the law to marry these uh, Moabite women but it was pretty common uh, even though it was against the laws against the l- l- law of Leviticus th- this was something that commonly occurred and, and, and so it's not completely out of the ordinary to see this in a, in a Jewish genealogy but, but, but then the two sons die and we leave Naomi and Orpah and Ruth in this desperate situation where there's no providers, there, there's, no, there's no husband for Naomi, there's, the sons are gone, and they're just kind of at the mercy of the people of Moab. And, and, and so Naomi decides to head back to Israel, and she begins this journey with, with both of her daughter-in-laws uh, going with her, and part of the way back, she, she tells the girls, go, go back to your mother. Go, go, go back to your mother. And, and it's interesting, she doesn't release them to her, their father's home, but to their mother's home. And in so doing, what she's doing is, she is, in essence, releasing them to remarry. Go find someone else to be married to. So what's the significance of that? As we'll see as a story... Uh, unfolds these girls are Naomi's backup plan they are her source of life they, they, they are in essence to Naomi unless they remarry outside her family they are her, her support her hope her future her legacy and Naomi is letting go of her rights her plans and her legacy to allow these girls to return to their mother's home. Both of them say no but, but finally it's just Ruth and, and it's the scripture that you see all the time we use it in weddings she says don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go I will go wherever you live I will live your people will be my people and your God will be my God wherever you die I will die and there I'll be buried may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And so Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem, uh, desperate, uh, destitute, w- w- with not a lot of chance to make it. And they're recognized, and, 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 and they... And, they, they, say, they recognize Naomi, and Naomi says this, don't call me Naomi, Naomi instead call me Mara. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. For the Almighty has made, my, made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Okay, we're going to stop there this morning. We'll finish the story next week. But but I think it's important that we we see what she said here. This is kind of a difficult passage to me because Naomi is saying God has judged me, that God has cursed me, that that all of this has come from the hand of God. Somehow God doesn't like me. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) Anybody ever thought that? She feels judged, and, and I've wondered why, why does she feel so judged? You know, obviously that her husband dying, her son's dying. Does she feel judged because she left Israel for Moab? does she feel judged because she allowed her sons to marry these women from Moab? Or maybe, <laughs> I think that's part of it, but Could it also be it's just kind of the default natural setting (laughs) that when things don't go our way, we begin to feel like we're judged? And I think it's just easier. It's just easier to do life in that way because if it's something that you've done, then if you do everything right, then all your plans should succeed, right? And so if we can just say, well, somehow I messed up and that's why I'm having pain, then we can, we can understand it, we can accept it, and it's this default natural setting that I think humans have. Because, see, that, that allows us to plan and live beyond sorrow, pain, and hurt. Can I tell you as your pastor... Sometimes pain, sorrow, and hurt is not judgment. It's just life. And, and, and we have this false guilt. Folks, you cannot plan and avoid life. Life comes to us all. We have Ruth. Yeah, you can see Naomi. Naomi's got all these things that's happened, these twists and turns. But, but I can tell you, Ruth is, Ruth is almost reckless. This was not the wisest choice you could make to, to cling to, to put your future on Naomi. The smart thing for Ruth to do was to listen to her mother-in-law's advice and go back to her mother's home and find another husband. But instead, she leaves her homeland and goes to Naomi's homeland and is completely at the mercy of foreigners. And as I look at Ruth, Naomi's doing what Naomi should do. Naomi's taking the, the next right step Ruth is recklessly following her mother-in-law. And and i got to tell you, I'm not sure if I understand completely why she does it, but she does it. And they find themselves desperate and alone. So, Pastor, you've got me all depressed now. Uh. (laughs) All right, you are dismissed. Go think about that. Here's the take-home. Before we have a plan, God has made a way. That before you have any plans, before you have anything sorted out, God has a way for you. And this morning is not the time to, to, to figure it out. and, and you know. But to, this morning, I, I just want you to, to, to live in that faith, that, that moment that, that even though you may not understand, you may not have a complete direction of what to do next, before you have all that sorted out, God's made a way in your life. Can you say that with me? Before I have a plan, God has made a way. Say that with me. Before I have a plan... God has made a way. So this morning, just as reflection, we're going to close here, and Amy's going to come and sing, and, and and Bob's going to pray for us here in a few minutes. But here's some questions for you. Have you become stuck in what was supposed to be temporary? Maybe it's an attitude. You know, we're, we're, so, we're so funny. Sometimes we think, uh, well, it's okay for me to be bitter or angry or unforgiving for, for a time, but, but I'll move on past that, right? You know, I'm only human. <laughs> if you're only human today, say amen, all right? If somebody didn't say amen around you, you better report them, okay? They must be an alien. But we, we develop these attitudes thinking, okay, it's only a short time, and and, and Before you know it, that bitterness that you thought you would hold on to for two or three weeks has been two or three years or maybe even two or three decades. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe you were hurt and you thought, well, I'm rightfully hurt. and I'm going to hold on for this for a little bit. But that relationship's still broken. And maybe the other person doesn't want the relationship to be fixed. But you know what? You can be fixed even in a broken relationship. You can forgive and you can let go regardless of what other people do. See, forgiveness is not a transaction between you and another person. Forgiveness is a transaction between you and God. Where you say, I'm letting go of this God. You know, if God chooses to give you opportunity to restore a relationship, then you take those steps. But the first step is saying, I will not be judge and jury. God, it's yours. Maybe you had some big plans, or God had some big plans for you. And I've met so many people that that God has called for something, and, and they stepped away. And they never thought, man, I'll step back in at some point, but they never did. Or they started down a wrong path and they thought it was a season. And the next thing, they were just kind of set in what they were doing. Have you become stuck in what was supposed to be temporary? Are there parts of your plan you have to let go to find yourself in God's way? In other words, just like Naomi had to say, okay, I'm going to let go of my plans, God. If I have a future, you're going to give it to me. Are there things that God's speaking to you that you just need to let go of? And finally, if I want to live a story bigger than myself, I must put my complete trust in a God who's bigger than all of our stories. God has a way this morning. Regardless of what you're going through, God has a way. And as we unpack this story, here's the amazing thing. God's way goes far beyond what we can see. If you could step back, if you could step back, close your eyes with me and prayerfully consider this. If you could step back from your life and and look at where you are and see where God is taking your story, not only to your life, but the lives that follow, I think you'd be amazed at what God's going to do. But you got to rest in that. So we're take some time, your heads bowed, eyes closed. Our altars are always available. I I think the altar is just a great place to meet with God. Uh, God God speaks clearer sometimes when I'm kneeling than when I'm sitting. (laughs) I become pretty intentional. So our altars are always available for you to come and pray. Uh, Amy's going to sing, and uh, you can sing with her if you'd like. And um, Lord, help us just to be obedient to you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.